Well, good morning. Glad you can be here today as we go into the Word of God and look for His answers, His solutions, His way of doing things, which is always, absolutely always, the right way. I am pretty certain that I have brought this scripture to you, I believe it was recently, but it just occurs to me that we really need the assurance of God in this time in which we live, and we need His peace. So if you have your Bible, just turn with me to John chapter 14. I'm going to read just one verse, or at least take one verse for my text. In John 14, I want to begin at verse 27. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away, and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. I'm going to stop there. I want to concentrate on that 27th verse of John chapter 14. And talk to you about how to find peace in the puzzle. Now, I want to use the word puzzle in two ways. One, life has always been a type of puzzle for all of us as individuals. We try to figure out how and why concerning our personal life. or just making observations about nature and the universe. How and why. It's a bit of a puzzle. Then, in the times in which we live now... We have this confusion, largely, I believe, brought on by the easy access we have to mediums like this one here. Social media, the internet, could throw in radio and television as well, but it's become much, much easier in the last few years, last decade, to have people disseminate information, opinions, and in many cases, misinformation and disinformation, and to top it all off, We have not only this in little portions, but it's coming in like a tidal wave. And so the word puzzle for us today is related to the individual struggle that we have all had, that every human being has had as to how and why and so on, solving problems or just discovering things. Curiosity leads us to think about why is this and how is that. And then the peculiar difficulties that we have today, and I'll mention this again, On the one hand, I believe it's a good thing that anybody, the average person, can put out their opinion on something. They can put out information on something. But the problem with that is this. How do we know that this information is correct? How do we, as the saying goes, how do we vet it? How do we know? And that's really a problem because it's easier. Let's say, for instance, and we know this, by the way, from looking at Scripture, In the last days, deception would be one of the key elements, along with other signs that we've gone over in the past. Deception would be one of the key elements. Now, the problem with deception, when you have no expertise in one area or another, and I said, as it stands right now, information on almost every subject is coming in like a tidal wave. And there's no real way that we, as individuals, can control that. We have a problem looking for peace in this puzzle. It's much easier for a person to put out misinformation, whether it's intentional or not. Some are themselves deceived. Some are just not very good at what they're doing, and they just throw things out. 
Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about here, what the difficulty is when you read anything. It's much easier, let's just say somebody's putting out some misinformation. For the moment, it doesn't matter whether that's being done intentionally to deceive people or it's being done with a good motive, thinking, oh, they're helping the situation by putting out this misinformation. Some years ago, many years ago now, I used to take my children fishing, and I've told you that I really have no real interest in fishing. I still don't. I just simply liked to get out, to throw the pole in the water, then I usually would just open my Bible and read. I didn't care whether the fish bit or not. I wasn't much interested. But I took it up with my kids, my boys especially, when they were little, just as something to do. So we go down here to some of these local spots and just throw the poles in and taught them some of the basics of fishing. I remember on one occasion, we were fishing, and I believe it was three of the boys. It was minimum of two of them. And as I'm sitting there trying to relax, because for me, fishing was to be relaxing, not more work. One kid, he's casting, and all of a sudden, he got a bird's nest. All right, well, we're going to fix that. Then, I mean, within minutes, my other son, he's got a bird's nest. And if I'm not mistaken, there was a third one as well. So I'm trying to take some deep breaths, because this has now become anything but relaxing. My point is this. It's very much like what we are facing at the moment with information that's actually valid, misinformation that obviously is not valid, and disinformation that also obviously is not valid. My point in pointing out a bird's nest in fishing is this. It's a lot easier to create a bird's nest than it is to resolve it. One cast and the line has a little slack in it or anything like that, or you let go of the trigger too late or whatever it is, and you have a bird's nest that takes seconds. But it could take 10, 15, or 20, depending on what you do, if you just cut the whole line or whatever, um, it could take much more time. And it does take much more time to fix a bird's nest in fishing than it does to create it. The problem that we have today, we don't have, the average person doesn't have the time to go after some information that they receive, some statement, some report, whatever it is, and spend hours and hours and hours unraveling this thing. And believe me, as someone who researches as a pastor for a living, it's hours and hours and hours in the Bible, meditating, thinking, reading books, going online, just to unravel things. And sometimes, quite frankly, again, with this deluge of information, uh, both true and untrue, good and bad, it's difficult, if not impossible, to get it all under control. That begs the question, then, how do we find peace in this puzzle? Jesus said... In John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. Now, as some of you know, I have always, and I still do every time I read this verse, always fall on that personal pronoun, my peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Here Jesus gives us really a lot to think about in just that one verse. There has never been a time in history when people weren't afraid of the future, afraid of what's going on in their lives. There's never been a period, never been a generation that's been exempt from fear and exempt from fear of the future, fear of sickness, fear of death, and all these things. But I will maintain, I think we're facing a little more than our fair share of it in this generation because it's coming at us in such volume, such quantity, so much of it. Yet... The promise remains, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Then he says, not as the world gives it. 
But he says, don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So let me go to that part of verse 27 first, the B section, which says, don't let your heart be troubled. It certainly implies that we have some control over our fears. It certainly implies that we have some responsibility dealing with those things that concern us, whether it's concerning us to the point of an anxiety attack or just moderately, but it's got our attention. Jesus here clearly implies that we have some part to play in finding peace in the puzzle. Don't let your heart be troubled and don't let it be afraid. That's on us. That's on you. People who are dominated by their emotions are going to be all their lifetime subject to misinformation and disinformation. And notice I'm not accenting information. If we can trust the source, if we can trust the resources that they use, then we know we're getting good information. This is, uh, by the way, something of the past. When people would actually subscribe to either a newspaper or a magazine, which implied that you were committed to this one organization, you trusted their columns, you trusted the columnists, you trusted the journalists. Now the marketplace is flooded with people talking. So I'm not going to accent information under the assumption that we can know what information is trustworthy. I will make the argument, though, from my own observations and what I hear from other people, is that we don't know really who to trust. We don't know what information is valid, what's misinformation, disinformation, what is actually a form of indoctrination that we don't want, and so on. What's the truth? Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth. And that, for us as Christians, is sufficient. The Bible, the Word of God. If you look in your Bible, if it's open, in the first verse of chapter 14, again, Jesus states this, really, verse 27, he's reiterating what he states here in verse 1 of chapter 14 of John. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't let it be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Then he talks about the next world. In my Father's house are many mansions and so on. And I'm coming again and I will receive you. So we talk about that as well. And then in verse 6 he mentions that he's the way and he's the truth. All right, with that understood, let me just accent once again the personal responsibility that you have in using your will, in directing your will against these emotions many of which are being brought to you in a greater amount than in previous generations, greater amount than the years that I was born and was raised. We have this coming at us. Now there's a personal responsibility to not let your heart be troubled, which means you're going to have to begin to, I use the word police, you're going to have to police yourself. How much time can you spend on the internet? How much time should you be spending on social media? And then, as professing Christians, put that up against how much time are you spending in prayer? How much time are you spending in the Bible? You know, we could take it from there and go through some other biblical principles. It's a matter of choice. And I say this again, if you're going to be dominated by your emotions, and so many people today are dominated by their feelings or by their emotions, so they can't think clearly. And here's something really troubling. When you are dominated by your emotions, even for causes you believe in, causes that you believe are true, then you lose the ability to think rationally and to step away from it and try to get a clear picture. I just recently learned what the actual meaning of red pill and blue pill is. I didn't know. 
always confused me. And now I know why, because it comes from a Hollywood movie, The Matrix. I didn't see the movie. I don't plan on seeing it. But from what I understand, at some point in the movie, you're offered a red pill or a blue pill. The red pill means you're going to learn truth, even though it could be very upsetting. It's going to topple your world when you learn the truth. The blue pill, and this is a choice, as again, as I understand the movie, didn't see it, not going to see it. The blue pill means I'll just believe what I believe and I'm good. Keep things the same. Well, if you want to find peace in this puzzle, you're going to have to be committed to finding the truth. That means you have to take a red pill according to the metaphor and the analogy that's given in that movie, The Matrix. Just learned that. Never knew what it meant. How committed are you to learning the truth? Jesus said in John chapter 8, he said, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You go over to Galatians chapter 5, and we learn that the fruit of the Holy Spirit, those that really actually have it, is love. And then the second one is peace. In the midst of all the turmoil, in the midst of all the confusion, in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of a tsunami of statements and papers and all types of things coming at us in the form of information, much of which is misinformation, disinformation, or unproven. It's going to become more difficult, so the will must be set that no matter what, I'm going to have this peace of Christ that was promised to me, not only here, but throughout the scriptures. So let me give you a few pointers on how to find peace in this puzzle. It could be a personal problem, how to resolve it, how to solve it. It could be this national and international puzzles that we have going on. Or your life certainly is connected, but it may be directly connected. What you're wrestling with is connected to that. But where's the peace? You're a follower of Jesus Christ, I assume. Where's the peace? Where's the sense of serenity? Where's the sense of, this is going to work out? Where's the sense, I'll talk about this in a few minutes. Where's the sense that God is actually in control? And more than that, he told us about these days. He told us these days would come. And I've said for some years now, those days have come. We're living in the prophecies of the apostles and prophets that said that these days, these type of days, 2 Timothy 3, chapter 3, verse 1 says, in the last days, perilous times shall come. And they have come. How do we find peace in the puzzle? Well, first of all, and this may seem obvious once I state it, but I don't know that it's so obvious if I don't state it. If you want to find peace in your personal puzzles or in the puzzling situations of this world and life as we know it, life as it is, if you're going to find peace, you must be diligently seeking for it. I've never found the four-leaf clover, but I know people who have. And I don't know of the few that have actually found and shown me a four-leaf clover. I don't recall that any of them were actually out looking for it. It was just happenstance. Or, though I'm not sure I believe in luck, I'll use the word luck. It was just luck. Hey, here's a four-leaf clover. If you approach the Bible and the Word of God, your relationship with Jesus Christ in that fashion, it's not likely. You're going to find the four-leaf clover of peace. Listen to this verse from Hebrews chapter 11 at verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. The subject, of course, is God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There's two things there. God does reward those that seek him, but the adjective there is diligently. 
So let's say, for example, we are in a field and our object, our desire for that day, our goal for that day is to see if we can uncover a four-leaf clover. My understanding is that they're very, very rare. So our chances are not all that great to begin with, but we're going to do it. So we're going to comb the ground. We're going to use things. Um, maybe we would use you know, a lens that can project the clover and make them bigger so we can see. You know, we'll do whatever we have to do to see if we can find that four-leaf clover. Now, here's the good news. Seeking after God is not like a four-leaf clover. God's not hiding. Well, not in the manner of speaking, he's not hiding. Listen to what the verse says. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, let's look at the word diligent. You believe that God will reward your efforts of hours in the Bible or time you spend in prayer, time that you spend using your will, as I just accented, using your will to refuse to be moved by your emotions, particularly the emotion of fear. Now, fear is a thought, a concept, and fear is a way of thinking, pattern of thinking, but it produces emotions that don't work for us, unless there's a real danger. Then it works for us. But most of the time, well into the 90 percentile, the things that we fear and are anxious about not only don't come to pass, but they ruin all the time in between. You can ruin your entire life being ruled by the emotion of fear. Same for other emotions. Diligently seek him. Well, the odds of finding a four-leaf clover in a large field are not very good. But the odds of finding it just by walking around and hoping that when you put your hand down, you're going to pull one up is infinitesimal. It's almost impossible. It's not impossible, but it's highly improbable that you're going to find one. And yet, that's how many people go about their relationship with this book, the Bible, or with Jesus himself. They're just kind of letting it happen, and they're wondering why I don't have peace. It's a lack of diligence. Again, not like a four-leaf clover. God is not trying to hide in a field where you can't find him. I have discovered an amazing thing with the Bible. And that is that so much is there, right there, right in front of us. And you can bypass it for any number of reasons, but I'll stick with the one theme here. Heart is troubled. Mind is distracted. Thinking of so many things going through your mind that you're going to be dutiful and you're going to read through like this verse here. And peace I leave with you, my peace. And your mind is over here and what you got to do, where you're going to go and who's coming to the house and things you got in the job. You missed the whole promise. More than that, you missed the exhortation that said, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. John 14, verse 1 says the same thing. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So number one, in order to find peace in the puzzle, you have to be diligently seeking after it. I'll make the assumption you already know that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. The greatest reward, by the way, is you find him. You find that God exists. But it has to be clearly understood. If you're going to go about looking for love and joy and peace and long-suffering and the fruit of the Spirit in a haphazard way, you're not likely to experience it. So your life is going to be one of constant complexities, constant confusion of thought. And I say this respectfully, but it has been my way of thinking from the very beginning. When a person carries a Bible, I make the assumption, which is not always the truth, I make the assumption that they actually read it. Further, in my early thinking as a Christian, follower of Christ, I made the assumption that they actually are willing to obey God, which unfortunately is not the case either. So now it gets down to you. Jesus said to the apostles, 
Who do men say that I am? And all these answers came back. But he looked at Peter and said, who do you say I am? He said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. Jesus said to Peter, he says, it wasn't man, it wasn't flesh and blood that told you this or gave you that insight or that revelation or that illumination. So my father gave it to you. And so it's the same with you. If you're not diligently seeking after God, then at the very least, don't be disappointed at the results that you're not getting. Because the rule is diligence. I had a friend of mine some years ago was asking me how he can build strength, real strength. So we went over a few things, and I stuck with him for a couple of days going over some things. Very strong man, very fit. I'm not sure why he wanted more, but he did. And so I gave him some pointers. One day I came over to him, a few weeks had gone by, and I came over to him, he was doing an exercise. I said, let me ask you a question. Is your goal still to build strength? He said, yeah. I said, well, that's not going to cut it. The type of weight he was using was too little to build real strength. And how many people walk away from God or walk away from the Bible saying, it doesn't work? When there's plenty of people in history and in the world today that says, no, it does work. But all of those people who have found that it works have sought after God with diligence. The intent was to find him. And God says, you come after me with diligence, you will find me when you seek after me with all of your heart. So number one, in order to find peace, real peace, in the puzzle, you're going to have to seek after God diligently. Number two, we have to learn that peace doesn't come from the outside. Peace comes from the inside. Now, some of you are saying, well, I know that. And I would say, do you? Because when I listen to you speak, you're always talking about world events and how we can kind of manipulate a change. Well, to some degree, that's good. And to some degree, that's useful. But if you're looking for peace from without, you've got a long, long wait ahead of you. It's not going to come from without. Not until Christ establishes the kingdom, but there's much that has to be accomplished between now and then. That means the peace has got to come from the inside. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water, it's a well, shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. That's from the same Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Here Jesus is saying, you're looking at the well that's the outside. Because Jesus said, I'm the water of life and I'm going to give you life. And you're looking at a well. So the woman thinks that he's talking about that well. And he says, no, no, no. That well, you go to it, you satisfy your thirst, your body is hydrated, everything's good for a while. Could only be, depending on what you're doing and your physiology, could only be a matter of hours before you're thirsty again. Jesus said, no, not with what I'm going to give. I'm going to give water from the inside. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. He said, and the water from the inside is going to be of such a nature that you'll never thirst again. We can go to this well again and again and again and again and never be thirsty intellectually, spiritually, morally. And all of this is imparted to our body physiologically. We're relaxed. Meanwhile, there's all chaos all around the place. Some of you will remember the story of Martha and Mary, but for those of you who do not know the story, let me just give it to you. So Jesus comes into the house of Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus, when Jesus comes into the house, he starts to teach. Mary, Martha's sister, sits down and she's listening. Martha's running all over the place. She wants to make sure, I mean, we can't fault her too, too much because she's trying to be a good hostess, making sure who's comfortable, who's got enough to drink and all of this. And she's so distraught. 
and particularly irked by her sister Mary, who's really doing nothing. That's her opinion. Mary's doing nothing. I'm doing all the work. And she actually goes to Jesus. And she says to Jesus, she says, don't you care? I'm doing all the work around here. My sister's doing nothing. That's a paraphrase. But that was the intent. And Jesus said this to Martha. He said, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and you're troubled about so many things. And he says this. He says, Mary has chosen the good part, the good thing. And it's not going to be taken from her. I've heard preachers talk about Martha. Preachers amaze me more than anybody else. We need Martha's in the church. If we needed Martha's in the church, why did Jesus gently reprove her? If we need workers in the church, obviously. We need people who are going to pray and they're going to give their tithes and offerings and they're going to do physical work. Yeah, we, sure, we need that. But we don't need Martha's. If we needed Martha's, Jesus would have commended her. He would have said to Mary, Mary, get up and help her. But he didn't. He said, this is the part you're supposed to choose. From there, we have instructions and we also have the ability to accomplish, listen, the duties and obligations God gave to us. I just on my daily broadcast, I just said to some of the people that watch, there's always people that are trying to drag you into their drama. And we all have this. They're caught in the vortex of some type of drama. And many people, at least some that I know, it's every day. I meet people that it seems like on a daily basis, they're always drawn into some type of drama. And they, whether intentionally or not, they try to draw you into that drama. Misery loves company. Jesus here is defending Mary. He says, I'm not taking from Mary what is the most necessary thing in life. She'll do her duty later on when she's properly instructed. Martha was just using what is called frenetic energy, just all over the place. If you act like that, even if you do it as Martha was doing it for Jesus, I'm interpolating now, I'm putting into the text what's not there. Jesus is basically saying, Martha, I didn't ask you to do this. You're actually a distraction to what I'm trying to do here is teach in your home. We'll have refreshments later if that was the case. She was actually a distraction, and that's what we face in Christianity today. Many, many distractions. The question is not if what you're doing, you're doing for God. The question is, did God ask you to do it? Well, how do you know? You've got to read the book, Diligence. If you're not looking diligently for peace, you're not likely to find it. Number two, if you don't realize that peace comes from the inside, in a manner of speaking, from sitting at Jesus' feet and looking at the scriptures and reading them, committing them to memory, prayer, and hopefully you have a church. You know, the pastor is a responsible individual that is an actual student of the Bible, so you're getting fed from the pulpit and so on. Then you get the message. Peace is not going to come on the outside until Christ returns. It's got to come first on the inside, and that's the second way you find peace in the puzzle. Thirdly, we're told in the scriptures that we don't walk by sight. Now, that would also include hearing, our senses, and so on. We walk by faith in the Word of God, right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 and 8. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Then the statement, for we walk by faith, not by sight. The verse goes on to say, we are confident, I say, and willing, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. But that little statement there has a tremendous amount of power. We walk by faith, and we don't walk by what we see. Let's say, for instance, you're rarely on the internet. You're rarely on social media. Maybe you don't even read books. Let me paint that picture for you and that person. I say, well, 
I'm not on social media. So I'm spared. No, actually, you're not. I'll tell you why. You may not be getting as much as some of us get. But as your eyes see things, it goes through the brain. It's making interpretations. And in a manner of speaking, the person that is deceiving you is yourself. I don't know what's worse, to be deceived by a false teacher or to deceive yourself. But in the end, it amounts to the same thing. I've often said that the only thing you have to know about false teachers is that their teaching is false. It's not true. And so we look here and we see this engaging statement. We walk by faith, not by sight. The Apostle Paul is saying that we know the Lord is present with us wherever we go, but we don't see him. We know that as long as we're here, we're not actually with him there in the kingdom. We know that when we leave our body, we will be with him in the kingdom. Yet we also know that Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So we know that he's with us now. But how do we know that? Is it by feeling? Look, at, we have at times, at least in some churches, this impression that I felt God. Now, I'm not saying you can't feel God at times, but generally speaking, that's not how the rule works. Music has a powerful influence on our emotions. I realized in studying myself, over the years, songs I grew up with, I never even knew the lyrics. Never even knew what they were singing about because I was always paying attention to the action of the music, studying the various parts of the music and what have you. I wasn't even paying attention to the lyrics. But my point is this, music, there's other things, of course, that can promote this living by the senses. We see something, therefore it must be a fact. Again, feelings are not necessarily facts. You feel like you're having a heart attack, which in the end may be an anxiety attack. You feel like you're having a heart attack, and your mind makes the translation, therefore it is a heart attack. Now, of course, those things can be true. But you go to get checked out, and they can't find anything wrong with you. So you get a second opinion, maybe even a third opinion, and they're checking that heart out from every angle, with every type of technology that they have, and they just can't find anything wrong with the heart. And so you're told at the end, this is probably anxiety. But you don't want to believe that because you feel like it. I mean, I've read of stories of patients trying to convince the doctor that their tests are wrong because I'm telling you, I feel this thing. Too much information to go through the workings of the nervous system and how it transfers. You have a problem in your shoulder, transfer the pain down here near your hip. That's the truth. Neurotransmitters and neuropathways, very complicated. All you need to know is this. If you're living by your feelings, you're living by what you see, if you're living by this deluge of mass amounts of information, misinformation, disinformation, and that includes the truth that's mixed in there, it takes hours to undo that bird's nest to figure out, oh, there's the truth, there, there it is. And, you know, for me, as Wesley once told his pastors, he says, be a man of one book. Now, I'm not a man of one book, I read many books. But there's a lot of comfort, I think, in that, because the great majority of you are not going to become researchers of notoriety. Most of you are not going to take the time, and this is a little bit tragic, you're not going to take the time to vet a statement that works in your favor. You say, aha, you see, he said it. I already believed that. Now he said it, and therefore you plaster it all over the internet. Never took the time to see if it was actually true. And it's an embarrassment to individuals, and in our case, to the Christian community, when misinformation is put out there because we think, I say we, people think that it favors our point, and it doesn't. If it's a lie, it's a lie. If it's misinformation, then it's misinformation. But when you quote the Bible, you can declare the Bible says, Jesus said, this book has been well proved. Doesn't matter if some don't believe it. Doesn't matter if some don't accept the evidence. Doesn't matter. 
you can declare with all assurance, God has said, the Bible says. And that is not only simplicity, which will uncomplicate your life, but it is also a great comfort. You don't know everything. I don't know everything. No one on the planet knows everything, and you never will. But you can know God. And that, my friend, is a great advantage in life. So we have to look at these three things. You have to be diligently seeking for peace in order to find it. You have to really want it. And then you could, by extension, by the way, put anything else in there. Healing for your body and other things. You've got to be looking for it diligently. Number two, you have to realize that the peace is not going to come around here. Uh, someone tells me there's a book out. I don't know much about it. I haven't looked at it. called The 40-Day Challenge. When it was presented to me, I understood to be written by a Christian. And the idea is that you have some marital problems. So one person decides, I will live 100% for God. I'm just giving my impression of the book. I'll live 100% for God. And after 40 days, the other person's going to change. And as soon as I heard that, I said, what? Yeah, they may change. They may get worse. I've known people, it happened to me to some degree in my own life, that the closer I drew to God, the less people liked it. That includes people I've pastored. Who come up with that idea? I said, you know, if that were true, then everybody would have been saved since Jesus came because he lived a perfect life. The truth of it is, they not only killed Jesus, they killed the apostles, almost all of them. They killed the prophets. Yeah, people change. They can get worse. Oh, yeah, in the providence of God, and I want to talk in just one minute about the sovereignty of God. He knows who's going to change his way for the better. But to write a book about you do the right thing for 40 days and people around you are going to change? No, it comes from the inside. You change. And that's the most important thing. Because, you know, you can't reach inside yourself and give people peace. I can't reach inside myself and give almost 45 years of teaching to anybody and everybody I meet. I can't do that. That's for me. And hopefully what I've learned over the years in preaching and teaching will help you. But the fact remains that what I've learned in the Bible and in prayer and my experience in God is for me. And it's the same for you. And then we can see when we come together, you have peace and I have peace and she has peace and he has peace. Well, then, like a candle with another candle, these little flames now become one big flame. But two can't walk together except they be agreed. And we have this principle. So seek for peace with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Number two, let it be clear in your mind that the peace is going to come from the inside, not from the outside. Not until Christ comes. Then thirdly, realize that everybody's walk of faith from when we start here early in the book of Genesis and we go all the way through into the kings, into the prophets. We come here to Jesus. We go past. We go into the apostles. Everybody walked a life of faith in God. God told Abraham, for example, leave your family, leave where you were born, and you're going to go to a land that I'll show you. Most of us would say, well, where are we going? It doesn't say that Abraham did that, but most of us say, well, where are we going? And God, in response, would say, yeah, follow me and I'll take you there. And then we're still saying, but where are we going? And you see, this life of faith, you'll see that pattern throughout the Bible. God is leading his people. Now, we know where we're going. Okay, we're going to the kingdom that will be established on the earth. We're going to the kingdom of heaven that will be, in a point of time, connected. If we die before the kingdom is manifest here, then we're going to go be with the Lord. We know where. And in one sense, we know how. I am the way. Hadas is the Greek word from John chapter 14 and verse 6. Hadas means I'm the path. So we know the path, and we even know the destination. But what we don't know is all the twists and all the turns, all the ups and all the downs. We don't know all the enemies that were going to come flying out of the woods. God saw fit not to tell Israel 
Come on, I'm bringing you to the promised land. And what he did not tell them is that there's going to be a lot of enemies that you're going to face. He didn't tell them that. And he didn't bring them by the shortest path here from Egypt to Canaan, which eventually become Israel. He didn't take them by the shortest path. He took them the long way so that they could build strength to meet the enemy, which in the final analysis they didn't anyway. They just kept circling the wilderness because they wouldn't believe God. In fact, that makes a great point. When they came into the land that God said, it's a good land. But once again, he didn't say, there's walled cities, there's going to be tests, there's going to be trials. And keep in mind, if he would have said this to Moses, keep in mind that a lot of the people are going to rebel against you. And they're going to complain that you took them out of Egypt, not me. So I think in this respect, God is not only wise, but he's good to us. That he doesn't tell us every detail. We lose our minds. And so here we go. Moses is walking and the children of Israel are walking. They've been given a destination that they don't know precisely what's going on. They're avoiding enemies in the beginning because they don't have the strength. 400 plus years as slaves, they didn't have the experience as warriors. So God trained them. And that pattern has not changed. Not for you, not for me. I know what the destination is and I know Christ is the path. But I don't know what I'm going to be facing this afternoon, let alone tomorrow and the next day. Listen. And here's the unwise individual trying to figure it all out. Because we don't want to be surprised. You're going to be surprised. We have to have a vertical view instead of a horizontal view. So we got everything all figured out. That's okay. I mean, to do that as much as you can. That's actually a wise thing to do. But there's always going to be surprise. Then in that case, we have to say we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith in every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Fourthly, to find peace in the puzzle you're going to have to have an absolute trust in the sovereignty of God. And I didn't choose the word absolute loosely. It's going to have to be ingrained in you, this little child's song. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, and he's got you and me, sister. It's a little children's song. But the profoundness comes from the Bible. Listen. Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God. Remember what I've done in the past. This is specifically addressed to Israel with applications for you and me. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will do all my Pleasure. Now, there's other verses, too, that say the exact same thing about the sovereignty of God. But if you're going to find peace, all right, you have to be seeking it diligently. You have to know it comes from the inside, not the outside. Uh, it doesn't come from another human being. You hope that you can be equally yoked with people. But sometimes that doesn't work out either. That you're walking by faith. I want to connect this third and fourth point. That you're walking by faith, not by sight, not by hearing, not by reading the local newspaper or the national newspaper or what's coming across on the media, but you're walking by faith in what this book says. And for those of you who are experienced as I am, you found it to be true. The longer I live and the more I study, the more convincing proof I see God actually wrote this book. And you know what? That's for me. People can debate. People can argue with me. I've told you the story of a man when I said, well, I don't worry because I know the Lord. No, you can't know God. I said, but I do. You can't. Okay, I understand that some people who say they know God are delusional. I have what we call a mental illness, but I'm not one of them because that's what God said. If you seek after me with all your heart, you will find me. And then he conceded the point later on and said, well, you're just a very lucky young man. Fine. But that's all for me. And you can't pull that out of yourself. Nor can you pull this out of yourself and give it to somebody and now they got it. 
an absolute trust in the sovereignty of God. Put succinctly, it amounts to this. God is working a plan in the earth. Now, we've been over this a lot. God is working a plan in the earth, and we are in it. Well, no, let me just say it this way. As the saying goes, you're either part of the solution, or you're part of the problem, or you're just simply part of the landscape. I don't want to be a part of the landscape just sitting around, taking a blue pill, saying, I don't want to know anymore. I had a friend of mine had open-heart surgery the same way I did. He didn't want to know nothing. Just do what you got to do. Me, I went to the nurse's station prior to surgery. I said, you got any books on bypass surgery? And I don't have any of my books with me. And so I had this big volume of bypass surgery and the heart and all that stuff. I was studying it, which, by the way, prepared me for afterwards for some of the lack of oxygen for a few seconds that my brain was depleted of. So I knew, oh, that was what I read in the book there. That was this and this was that. I want to know the truth. I want to know what are you going to be doing with my heart when you open it up? Some people don't want to know. Well, that's a matter of personality and your preference concerning some things. But when it comes to God in this book, you better be a red pill individual. You better be a person who's willing to have their whole world turned upside down if what you're thinking is wrong. Because God is in charge of this planet and every planet that he's created and all of the universe. And he's going to bring, as this says here, my counsel will stand and I will do all my pleasure. God is going to bring this world to a conclusion he has predetermined. And we are one of three things. We're part of that solution. In other words, we're going with God. But we're part of the problem. And don't you exempt yourself because you attend a church, including this one. You're either part of the solution, or you're part of the problem, or you're just hanging around blue-pilling yourself to say, hey, I'm just part of the landscape. Because God is saying, every individual will give an answer to me at the end of their life. And then at the great white throne judgment, we have the same picture. Who wouldn't want to take Jesus' exhortation when he says, don't let your heart be troubled? Now, are we actually saying, without saying it, that I'll let my heart be troubled as much as I want to? And then go to God in prayer and say, oh God, my heart's troubled. But he just said, don't let it be troubled. You see, again, that's the personal responsibility. It doesn't mean God is not with us. He's not going to help us pour in grace and mercy and whatever we need. Look, I remember some years ago when I was battling with something that was troubling me. And I was like the pendulum. I would go here, say, ah, go to another extreme. No, oh, that don't work, you know, over here, over here. Back and forth, back and forth. And I actually said to God, respectfully and reverentially, with this situation, what are you waiting for? And I really felt impressed in my spirit that God said to me, I'm waiting for you to make up your mind. So he threw the onus back on me. I'm lucky they said, what are you doing, God? When God gives us so many times a choice, Joshua has got the children of Israel who just spent 40 years going in circles, going nowhere, and told they're not going into the promised land. Now, when the younger generation grew up and they were now adults and Joshua is there, he says, now choose this day whom you will serve. We had that verse just recently. Choose. And for some people, we don't want that. No, we don't want that. I talked to you recently about fatalism and determinism. God has things determined, but that is not the same as fatalism. Part of the landscape. Hey, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Well, things are getting worse. What are you doing about it? Because what's going to happen is going to happen. It's not what God is saying. Jesus said, occupy till I come. That's actually a business term. Keep doing business and do what you're supposed to do until I come. In any case, when we are confronted with the God of the Bible, with God, he gives us a choice. Let not your heart be troubled. And granted, this takes some time to conquer, to learn this, let's call it a skill. 
to learn this skill to say, no, I'm tempted to be afraid here, but I'm not going to. I know that God is going to come through. Even if you're new to the Bible and you see what God has written here, he's promised. Not leave you, not forsake you, supply all your need and all this. Now the question comes, do you believe it? I say this frequently, but I think it's apropos I say it now. I'm talking to Americans. I understand that we have people from other countries watching this broadcast, but I want to speak to Americans just for a moment. Do you really believe, I mean, you really, really believe that there's a human being on the planet that we're going to elect that's going to bring us peace all over the place? Let me tell you something. That's exactly what the book says that the world will believe when the Antichrist comes. He'll make promises he can't fulfill. He will dominate the world. He will control everything. And all because people said, we want peace and we want safety. And here's our man. God already sent a man, Jesus, the savior of the world. And he brings peace from the inside. But for you to have that peace and along with the diligent seeking and the understanding that it is on the inside until Christ comes and walking by faith, <clears throat> you must have faith in God, who, by the way, and I often remind myself this, who did quite well running the universe before you were born. Before you got your degree or degrees from the university, he did quite well. He kept the stars in order, kept the sun in order, kept the planets revolving in our solar system around the sun. Earth kept spinning. Everything was fine before you were born. Now that we're born, we want to advise God. Hey, God, you know, I'm not sure that this is the way. In fact, I don't like the way this is running. And so here's some advice. God must have a sense of humor when he listens to some of the statements we make. But I always remind myself, God, you know, you got along fine without me before I was here. So the obligation on my end is to not let my heart doubt, to not let my heart be troubled, to not let my heart be afraid. And again, I'll grant you that this is a project. It's not that easy, but we're still commanded to do it. So let me summarize. Seek God's peace with great diligence with the intent that God is not hiding in a field of clover. He actually wants to be found, if I could say it that way. Number two, get it straight in your head that the peace is going to come from in here, not from out here, not until Christ returns. Number three, don't be walking by what you see, what you hear, reports. Say ye not, is a confederation, a confederation. That was dealt with in Isaiah. God says, no confederation. I'm bringing this judgment. The sovereignty of God. He's working out a plan that he started in the Garden of Eden, and he will bring it to completion. Then lastly, in summary, we must be compliant in order to have the peace in the puzzle. God says in Exodus 15, 26, related to healing of the body, we could include the mind and the spirit. If thou wilt diligently hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, there's that word diligent again, diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight. doesn't matter if people agree. You have to do what's right in his sight. And will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. That's just one verse as an example of this need where we began with the first point, this need for diligence in the form of compliance. I will tell you, as I have in the past, I wouldn't write a book like this. I mean, there's lots of things in here that I really don't care for. I would like to amend it, except God says, don't touch it. The last chapter over here, he says, look it, you take away from the prophecy of the book, I'll take away your part from the tree of life. Good deal. Just leave it the way it is. I'm not going to amend it. How many preachers, perhaps unwittingly, amend the word of God because they're afraid of what the people are going to think? 
They're afraid of what the people are going to say. That's not a preacher. That's a coward. We must be found in compliance. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He that has my commandments and does them, keeps them, that's the one that loves me. And the reward for us is the peace starts to well up within our soul. And we can sing the song, which happens to be, along with Amazing Grace, one of my favorite songs. It is well with my soul. How about your soul? You tuned in today and things are not going well. Well, that's part of our human condition. You tuned in today and you're looking all around and you say, oh, what a mess. And that's already been prophesied and also part of the human condition. Nothing new under the sun, Ecclesiastes 3. But there can be something new with you to do what God has said to do. So let's pray. Father, we all need to find peace in this puzzle. The perplexing questions, scenarios drawn out either by Satan himself, by others, or by ourselves, thinking too far into the future, where we're going to go and what we're going to do and what we're going to say. You told us not to think about those things. That when the time comes, you'll give us what to do, what to say. So God, I ask you, and I do pray for everyone that can find peace in this puzzle of life by putting your word into their hearts and to be compliant. I pray today, Lord, Father God, for all my friends, brothers, sisters, that they would have that, I mean, actually really have that peace of Christ, wherever they are, whatever is going on in their lives, and whatever they're doing. Let me ask you this question. Is Jesus Christ your Savior, your personal Savior? He's mine, but that's for me. I don't control what other people do, and that includes my own children, or my grandchildren, or this church, or anybody else. I only control what I do. And I started with Jesus, and I intend to just stick it out with him all the way right to the end. How about you? Is Jesus Christ your personal Savior? Is he actually your Lord? Not the group, your Lord? I pray today would be the day that you would say to Christ, come into my heart, be my Lord, and be my Savior. I pray that you would do that today and make that decision. Start by reading the Bible. Read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Read through them twice. Go on to the rest of the New Testament. Then begin the Bible from the beginning. Find a church near you that is preaching the gospel because you need that fellowship. You need that support from other Christians. All right. God bless you. Take the word of God and find peace in the puzzle. Amen.